I'm Dove Tuzman, and you're on equal footing again. We're near the end of the Jewish year. Uh, the Jewish year is a lunar, we're on a lunar calendar, if you're a Jewish person and you celebrate the Hebrew calendar. And it ends in just a few days. Next week is the Jewish New Year, or the beginning of the Jewish New Year. It's called Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah. We're going to talk about Rosh Hashanah in a way that is accessible to and relevant to non-Jews and Jews that are maybe not observant, maybe forgot the real intrinsic meaning of it, and also compare Rosh Hashanah a little bit to other religions' practice of the new year, of renewal, of return to belief. This is not a religious show. This is a show for atheists, for outsiders. And maybe for you, if you're listening and think of yourself as religious, but want to reconnect with the meaning. It was tough to find a uh, meaning of the, of the Jewish New Year of renewal. It was tough to find a guest for tonight. And I'll tell you why. Relatively easy. In terms of the Rolodex of past guests on this show and folks that are out there in podcasts and, and radio talking about the Jewish topics to find a rabbi who can talk to us about the theology, the practice around the Jewish New Year. Relatively easy to find a, an academic who can give us some of the religious anthropology. Where did this holiday come from? How is it related to other ancient religions and cultural groups in ancient Palestine and Mesopotamia. There are actually a number of people. We've had guests on the show before have talked about that type of thing. But hard to find someone who can give us a comparative perspective from different faiths, who can give us, who can understand also the totally secular, even atheistic framework from an academic perspective, and who's comfortable also talking about the Halacha, the Jewish law, the practice and the rituals of Rosh Hashanah. I want to welcome that guest right now, Dr. Eshin Brenda Shoshana. And Dr. Shoshana hi. is... <laughs> hi, Dr. Shoshana. Hi, thank you so much. So glad to have you again. You were on the program once before talking about death and right. it, the practices and rites and rituals around it. And, the, and it, was a, it was actually a, a really moving show. And I was at a... A funeral today, and we get to that uh, during the mm. show. And I was thinking a lot about our talk then, and how it informed my experience today, being so close to the the rituals mm. around death. And you've bravely agreed to be at another show with a tough topic, which is how do we look at an intrinsically religious celebration, in a sense from a non-religious perspective, and and find meaning in it, or maybe find why it's not meaningful, but at least talk about it. And Dr. Shoshana, you're a psychologist, you're a renowned author, speaker. You're also a long-term practitioner of both Judaism, in a very traditional observance of Judaism, as well as Zen Buddhism. And, right. <laughs> which I love, that, that you're, you're coming at it from both Western and Eastern 
perspectives. And your work has been dedicated to integrating the teachings of the East and West and making them real in our everyday life also as a practicing psychologist. And you give talks at Zendos. You also have a weekly podcast called Zen Wisdom for Your Everyday Life. Uh, your your newest book, is is it the Jewish Book of Dharma? Did I get that right? Oh, no, no, that's an old one, but it's a good one. It's called Jewish Dharma, a guide to the practice of Judaism and Zen. Got it. Sometime we're going to do a show on Jewbus and Jewish Buddhists. Yeah. <laughs> Specifically. Over the years, <laughs> Dr. Shoshana, I know you've given many workshops and talks on all aspects of psychological and spiritual development and most of all living an authentic life. And this show is about that journey too, about talking about subjects that are sometimes touchy. Sometimes we overlook the real essence mm-hmm. of them and doing it as authentically as we can. You've also worked with hospitals and families dealing with end-of-life concerns, which I think gives you a real perspective on on life with the prism of life, yeah. especially through the, yeah. the end of life. And, and, mm-hmm. and folks listening, go to her website. You can really see the breadth of her knowledge and work in the past. It's brendashoshana.com. The last name is S H O S H N A double N A Brenda Shoshana. So, Doctor Shoshana, thanks for being on. Well, thank you. About. First of all, thank you for such a beautiful, warm, and meaningful, meaningful introduction. I thank you for that. You know, I can't help but ask. The, we already got a question in the first couple of minutes from a listener who probably <laughs> knows that I haven't even given out the number. Who says is that her real last name? <laughs> <laughs> so, actually, that name, I, I you know, my, I, I come from, uh, I'm born in a, in a, in a almost Hasidic family, and um, it was not my original last name. No, it's, my, I take it as my middle name, but, and I just thought that was enough. So, it was Brenda and Shoshana, and then Eshin is my name at the Zendo. So, so I. So I'm this listener was right. She said, I guess in, in Hebrew it means a rose, right? Yeah, I love that name. I, I was I took that in the middle of my life. That name came to me to take that. Um, sadly enough, I really wasn't given a, a Hebrew name, Pela, which is a Yiddish name, and yeah. I, and I always wanted one, so it came to me by itself. And I said, "Thank you." I love <laughs> it I when took- you when you choose name as an adult and has so much more meaning. You know, Dove is my middle name, and it's part of my mm-hmm. my name, but. Uh, it's, it's a name that I've more embraced as I've, as I've gotten older in part because of the connection to the past and, and that it was my yes. great uncle's uh, name who, who, who died in the Holocaust. Okay. Yeah, so beautiful to keep him here with you. Brenda, let's start by giving a little bit of a primer without getting, you know, <laughs> too, too into it. Maybe mm-hmm. reminding those, those uh, Jewish folks listening who don't, maybe don't recall the, the exact uh, kind of parameters of this holiday, and certainly for non-Jewish mm-hmm. people listening, what is Rosh Hashanah? Oh, thank you. Uh, and uh, uh, Rosh Hashanah, as well, of course, the head of the year, the new year, I will, the essence of Rosh Hashanah, and there are several very important essences, but the very heart of it is the call for tshuva, which means to return, to return to God, to return to yourself, to return home, to your true home, return to your family, return, to return, to wake up again, wake up and come back, come home. You know, you were speaking about the different traditions, that wonderful story of the prodigal son being called, come home to who you really are and to what is possible for you and make this not just a new year, but a new life. 
So that I was, you know, since I want to make it brief and to the point that, of course, it's much more than that, too. But that's the heart of it. That's the real heart of it. So one of the things that I've always struggled with as an outsider looking into the Catholic world mm-hmm. is this concept of a confessional. And I always felt like it was a moral hazard. It's like, okay, if I, if I, if I know that I'm going to go confess, does it give me kind of a mm-hmm. pass to, to sin in the meantime? Cause I know I'm going to be able to wash it away with a confessional and to Catholic listeners, please pardon my very hackneyed and superficial understanding of it. I'm just being open about kind of a, an intrinsic intellectual curiosity, if not bias. But you know, when you said that about the Jewish belief around teshuva return and how tied that is into the new year. Why do we have to like return? Doesn't that does that mean the rest of the year we can be a holes? I mean, so that yeah, <laughs> we get, because we know that during the you know, right. couple of weeks of the Jewish New Year period, we we're no. going to return. No, it's a very very good question. No, first of all, why do we have to return? I mean, and it's a great question. Do we, do we just return for a couple of weeks and do a go to the shul, or yeah, the month of Elul is just coming to a close? Of course. The whole month of preparation. No, of course not. It's like when you do a Zen session, you go and, and it's a time of retreat, of intensity, of a renewing reality, of renewing ourselves, and then God willing, we continue, continue this process of return, which means to remove ourselves from the incredible confusion of the external world and of all of the all of the different, the distractions, the demands, the confusion, the searching in a way, in a place and in a way that's very barren. And this says come back for a while and get, get recharged, get in touch with God. So a lot and of, that a word lot of may be very folks that are not, you know, traditional or orthodox observant Jews, but will just celebrate like Rosh Hashanah and then, you know, eight days later, Yom Kippur. And may not be totally aware of that th- this is a really a, a, a two slash three week holiday. Do, do you want to explain no, for a sec, especially to Nanja, what It starts sure. with Rosh Hashanah, but what, when we talk about the Chagim, well, actually, the, the, it doesn't end. It do, let me tell you something. Rosh Hashanah doesn't end. It's a it's a three week period where we're practicing with more intensity, where we're leaving our usual routines and schedules behind. Yes, that's what we're doing. And in different traditions, which you asked me about, sometimes even in the Tibetan tradition, they go for three years to practice. They go into a hut alone for three years to practice. Other places go for a month. There are many kinds of retreats. But please, it doesn't end ever because every day is Rosh Hashanah. Every day it's important to know who you are, where you are. Practically and to, speaking, though, for those that might, yeah. might not be aware of the milestones, what hap- What are these three? Rosh Hashanah is the head of the year. It starts, and that's it starts this Tuesday. Right. And, then, and then we have Yom Kippur, which comes after that. And Yom Kippur is incredible. It says the book opens on Rosh Hashanah, and it ends at Yom Kippur. And what this means, Yom Kippur is a day of fasting, a day of repentance, a day of cleansing, letting go. And one of the great practices of Yom Kippur, which we should be doing all month long, and even is to call everybody you know and say to them, if I've done anything to hurt you this year, please will you forgive me? And I love that practice. I think it is. You mentioned the book being open and, and 
people yeah. may not be aware, the, the, the book you're referring to is the Book of Life. And, That's right. And in Jewish philosophy, you have this concept that at the head of the year, Rosh Hashanah, which again this year falls in the Gregorian calendar this coming Tuesday, begins, then the Book of Life opens. And during this time that it's open, we, we hope that we're written into it for the coming year. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And, we, and when we, do we get we written pray, into it? Is it on Yom Kippur or is it after Yom Kippur that we get written into it? No, no. After, well, after you, they say the book closes after Kol Nidra, which are the final prayers of Yom Kippur. That's, it's, it's, that's an image of something. It's a time of great intensity, a time of great soul searching and tr- making amends of reconciliation of atonement. Now, this can be done whether or not you're religious. Even if you call yourself an atheist, that's fine. You know, because different people call themselves different things. We have, we get upset by the language of it, but don't be upset by the language of it, because we all need a time of coming to grips with our, who we are, what our life is, asking for forgiveness, and they say, of course, the more you forgive others, the more you are forgiven as well. We did it's a show a couple a com- of a, a couple of weeks ago on forgiveness, and I was at a very, mm. very uh, important inflection point in my life, and I was asking for forgiveness uh, on the air. And one caller, I thought, really uh, fairly said, "Wait a minute, is this show about the man in the mirror?" Like basically, it's almost it was almost like egotistical to be focused on being forgiven. And I want to, by the way, really thank the caller because it, it, it kind of changed my point of view. And I've always had this, and on the show, Brenda, you've agreed for me to kind of, you know, play a little devil's advocate. This is an actual belief. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not devil's advocacy. This is actually a concern I've always had about, about Judaism. Mm-hmm. It seems so self-indulgent in this period of the year. Like I understand, like you know, we we hit our chest. I'm doing that here in the studio. Right. So about sound you hear. Like there's this process during the Day of Atonement mm-hmm. or Yom Kippur. You're in synagogue and you're tired and you're you haven't had water or food and you're mm-hmm. pounding your chest, to kind of going through this this ritualistic prayer for you know seems like hours. Probably doesn't take that long. But where you're you're talking about all the the kind of the bad things you've done over this past year and you're asking for right. forgiveness right. of God and and there's always a part of me that felt and that it's a little self-indulgent. And that's it's also that thing I have about confessionals as well. It's like, why, why, why not just try to live your life in a way – and I, I, I don't do this. I'm not saying I do this. I'm just saying I would like to live my life in a way I wouldn't have to mm-hmm. be asking forgiveness for forgiveness much. Right. And especially not having to ask for forgiveness so ritualistically and so completely and so dramatically you know, once a year. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? The truth, I agree with you. I've had some of those feelings myself, and I understand what you're saying. There could be a big danger in thinking, well, I've done this, so I'm forgiven, and I can just go back to life. I agree. I, and, and in Judaism, there's a Musser movement, which is very focused on being very attentive and mindful of how we behave all the time. What's a Musser so movement for, for those that might be M-U-S-S-A-R. It's a movement of where people really work on their character traits, and they're very conscious of how they're interacting with others all year long, all, all right. the time. It, it, so, gonna, you know, I think it we're is We're going to take danger, a quick break, just, Dr. Shoshana, because yeah, um, I, I want to get back to that, that character issue and how the the our practice in the real world ties into 
yeah. our, our, our religious belief and, and how interestingly, you know, well, one of my favorite things to quote on this show is the Pew Research Center and how shows that atheists, guess what? Often more attention and more attentive to their character in their daily life than people well, can that I are religious. Say one quick thing? Can I say just two things? Say one quick thing. Can you hold it till after the break? We have to get paid. I'll do my best. All right. Call call in uh, to discuss Rosh Hashanah, and particularly if you're an outsider, maybe you're not Jewish or you're not an observant Jew or an atheist, call in and talk to Dr. Shoshana and myself. There we go. we got our first caller. 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. You can also text a question to 917-428-4062. That's 917 Four two eight four zero six two, and we'll be right back on equal footing. Carry on my way. Okay, I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to torture everybody. I love that song, Kansas. Okay, let's talk about one of our sponsors. We do have to have the program supported to stay on the air. Mechanical Art Capital. Mechanical Art Capital has been a sponsor since the beginning of Equal Footing being on the air on the TalkLine network. And it's a really creative financing company. It allows uh, both uh, high-end watch collectors and dealers, which there are many in New York, to access alternative financing at lower rates than are often available in the market. It's an innovative way of approaching things that uses a a repossession structure basically to buy inventory or buy pieces from a collection and then allow for them to be bought back by the borrower, the client, uh, sometime later. We don't, there's no uh, reminding uh, of, uh, of, you know, bothering people. There's no sense of being a debtor. It's quick, easy capital, allows you to expand your business, buy a new home, whatever you might be doing. So use that inventory if you are a watch dealer to access low-cost capital using Mechanical Art Capital's financing program. You can get money in as little as a day. Call 833-209-0972 for more information. That's 833-209-0972. You can also go to mechanicalartcapital.com. And Mechanical Art Capital has just in the last couple of weeks launched an app on the iOS uh, store on your on your Apple phone as well as on Android if you have a Google device. And it allows you to get your collection of watches or your inventory you're, uh, if you're a dealer, appraise and get financing on that. So you get the value of the appraisal for free if you sign up to the app. Look for it on your app store at mechanicalartcapital.com. Okay, I want to talk about one other sponsor that has been with us for quite a while, and it's Manhattan Medical. And Manhattan Medical is very special in that it is attending to one of the uh, most preeminent problems in uh, in, in couples today, and it's erectile dysfunction, but doing that in a way that has no side effects and is a broader type of methodology that's available to folks that can't use those expensive blue pills because of either comorbidity issues uh, or side effects, the interaction with other medicine, which is very common. Manhattan Medical instead utilizes the new effective gains wave therapy, and this therapy is non-invasive. It's not surgery. 
and it's painless. It doesn't have any side effects. And you can't, you don't just have to be in the New York area to use Manhattan Medical's patented Gaines Wave therapy for erectile dysfunction. You can be any, anywhere in the United States. You can do consult by phone. Uh, and if you mention when you call into Manhattan Medical that you heard about them on equal footing, you get a free consultation, which is a $250 uh, value. So call Manhattan Medical if you uh, are experiencing, you're a man experiencing or you're, you're a partner, the man is dealing with that in a relationship. You know, over 60% of men at some point in their lifetime uh, deal with erectile dysfunction. Call 888-EDQ-R9. That's 888-EDQ-R9 and spelled out, so to speak, in numbers. That's 888-332-8739. 888 888- Three three two eight seven three nine. Call Manhattan Medical now. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on back on equal footing we're back in our discussion i should say yes that was yeah, me talking so, uh, we were i'm so sorry dr shoshana you know we, we have to go to our sponsors i didn't know i understand it's Shoot. fine it's fine it's okay i just that point is so important i was thinking about it that rituals are gateways banging for some people they work wonderfully but but the ritual whether it's banging your chest, whether it's davening, whether it's sitting on the cushion meditating, whether it's confessional for the Catholics. These are practices. They're practices. They're gateways so that we can have an experience and that will alter our consciousness. They're not an end in themselves. And mm-hmm. and it is very dangerous that people think, well, since I've done all these rituals, I'm a, I've, it's all done, I'm finished, and I did what I had to do. And no, that's may not be what you have to do. What you have to do is actually learn from that and then continue the practice of, uh, all through your life, all through you can use, day and with each I, I love the way you said that because you can use the ritual as well in, in, in a completely idiosyncratic way. You can choose what it means in, in, in your spiritual experience. And, and that may be really different than what others are using it for. And I'll give you an example on, on, on Yom Kippur. In blessed memory, when my grandfather was alive, he would bring, I think I mentioned this story maybe last year on a program, he would bring the grandchildren uh, to, to shul, to synagogue, and I was the oldest grandchild. Mm-hmm. And he, he would hold our hands really tight, and he was a Holocaust survivor. And right. he would take the opportunity out loud and mm-hmm. loud, so saying it out loud and also so people could hear it in the pews, you know, some pews away, mm-hmm. uh, expressing his anger at God. And, exp- and, and even mm-hmm. get it going to the point of cursing God and even yeah. and, and even going to the point of saying that he needed to give him forgiveness. In other words, Hashem, mm-hmm. you owe me an apology. You owe me mm-hmm. an explanation. And mm-hmm. it, it was it, in a certain sense, his coming to Shul and going through that, that, that doing that at the time where it's the opposite of what someone is supposed to be doing when they're like, pounding their chest. It, for him, the gateway of going at that moment was a healing process, and it took many years for me to understand truly that that was truly religious or spiritual. That that that, that was he was a dialogue for him with God. He could have just That's right. he he could have said, "I don't believe anymore. I'm never I'm never going to go into your house again," so to speak. But instead, he would right. go and. 
so and, you, you know, and cry you know, out the for, fact for that he, uh, I agree with you. The fact that he was in communication, in connection with God, that took a lot of bravery. And, of course, he would be extremely hurt at going through that angry... It was a nightmare. He went through a horrible nightmare. And I would... You know, this is such a complicated matter. Somehow we believe, we blame God that whenever bad happened, we blame God. You did this, and and there's a danger thing in my, in my opinion. And I don't mean your, I don't mean your, your, the, your, the person in your family who, who went through the camps. That's a whole different world. And the fact that he even went to Shul and he was alive, God bless him. But you know what? This whole thing of blaming God or even ask begging God for this and that, from my perspective, we go, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. But instead of what can I do for you, Hashem, how can I serve you? When we turn that around, that perspective around, how can I be of help? What can I offer? A lot of the rage goes away. It goes away. And and many people have much rage. They're very not not, not to that extent maybe, but but you know, they've been through very painful experiences of many kinds and blame God. And well, and let, that's why, you know, I and, and they blame somebody. It's yeah, God let's let's though let's I, I I have alluded before the break to the fact that there are there are academic studies, a Pew Research Center does has a great program, by the way, you can find them at pwresearch.org and they have a whole uh, uh, program going on around the intersection between religion and ethics and, and, and sociology in the United States. And one of the very disturbing things that uh, they found is that people that self-identify as religious um, are mm-hmm. often – uh, are, are often less attentive through objective metrics to the way their daily behavior is affecting others around them. And well. and there's lots of different kind of uh, anecdotal um, I- examples of this. Um, but uh, if you look at, for, for example, one of them has to do with empathy. So this show at the outset, you know, purported to be something that would be accessible to non-Jews or to secular Jews talk about Rosh Hashanah. Well, uh, most people that are religious uh, and that are mm-hmm. self-identified in their own religion as religious don't know about other religions. So, for example, let me give you an example of this. Uh, folks that self-identify as practicing Christians in the United States, mm-hmm. 29% of those know what day the Jewish Sabbath is on. Well, in the general population, outside of that group, the figure goes up to 45%. I found that almost impossible to believe because mm-hmm. if I would assume that if you're a religious Christian, you know, in the New Testament, there's, you have the concept of connection between Judaism and Christianity and the concept of a, that both have a Sabbath. And the difference between the Saturday and the Sunday is almost minor compared to the idea of observing it. Um, the same thing goes, unfortunately, for... Uh, folks that are identify as Orthodox Jews. And in fact, this is common to three uh, groups. Uh, folks in the, United, in the United States, folks that identify as Orthodox Jews, uh, Evangelical Protestants, and fundamentalist um, folks that, are, that believe in, tra- in a traditional practice of Islam. Okay? Mm. And in those three groups, those three mm. groups have the lowest... Uh, indexes, indices of awareness of uh, any uh, practice of Hinduism, 
of uh, Buddhism, of Sikhism, any any other religion. So, for example, under 17% of them can name another major religious practice of any kind, a holiday, a fast, anything. Right? In the general population, that figures almost 50% outside of that group. I found so. In other words, it's it's clo- it's the it's the the proto, what's the word I'm looking for? The, um, it's that, that hackneyed view of the religious person being closed-minded seems to be borne out in the facts. So why would I practice Rosh Hashanah? Why would I take these three weeks and get really into the rituals and go to synagogue and do the, do the different okay, things? Well, why would I fast? Wouldn't it be better for me to instead spend these three weeks being more empathic and connecting with my non-Jewish neighbor and, you know, just kind of leaving my daily work life. I'm going to do that to to just have love for my for my neighbors, as opposed to like go insular and and and, and just you know practice rituals. Okay, so for, I think there's another danger. Also, I mean, I, those those statistics are very very painful to hear. But there's also another danger, which is to to, to group everybody within the within the Orthodox world together, or within and any other religious group together. There are those within that. I mean, when I would say only to do the practice of the of the so-called rituals of the halacha, to do those rituals, to do the practice. If, it, if you felt it made you more empathic, more connected to God, if you felt more loving, if it opened your heart, whatever it is that's going to open your heart and not judge others, because in a, our job when we go to any place to practice isn't to judge anyone else. It's to see how is this practice affecting me. Am I more loving as a result? Am I more empathic? Am I more caring? Now, some practices may not make one that way. Other practices may, even in the Zen Center. Well, let's, 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 let's even get a couple of callers involved in this conversation. I'm talking okay. to Dr. Brenda Shoshana about Rosh Hashanah, but through the lens of the outsider, through the lens even of the atheist, does it matter? Why? What's this whole thing about? Let's take let's take a caller. Hopefully, I don't. I sometimes disconnect people back. So, caller on line two, you're on the air. Caller on line two, you hear me? All right, you might have to call back. We're going to take caller on me? line line. Can you hear me? Caller on line three, we've got Can you. Can you hear me? We Can hear you hear me? Yes, we do. How are you? Good evening, my friend. Hi, Stan. Uh, let me take a different route than this lady is taking. Way different. And a more happier note. In a couple of months, on December 29th and December 31st, we will celebrate the Christian calendar and have a New Year celebration. And we'll all go to Times Square. I don't know if we'll go this year, but we'll all celebrate in our home. But we as Jews have a lot more than the rest of us. We have 5782, over 5,000 years of still being here. That is one hell of a lot of things to celebrate. We have Hanukkah Menorah. We are still here. We have the Western Wall, and we're still here. We have dried fruits, which we eat, and we're still here. We have the Talis Prayer Shawl, and we're still here. We also have Hamantassen and treats on the holiday, and we're still here. And we have matzah on Passover, and we're still here. And finally, we have the Torah scroll, and after 5,700 years, we 
are still here and will continue to be here. Happy New Year to you and your family. So, Stan, you're saying and forget so about the rel- coming at me. There's so much rage. I've heard. Hang on a sec, guys. Yeah, no, I've heard. I stand. You've called in before, and I I don't. I don't hear rage. I I hear. I hear Jewish pride. Absolutely. And let me just let me understand. Are are you? Would it be fair to say that your message is? You know what? Put aside the religious stuff. Put aside the spiritual stuff. Celebrate the milestone. We Uh, are still here. Besides pestilence, disease. Was anti-Semitism. There's no hate. The woman is absolutely incorrect. There's no madness in what I'm saying. There's absolute pride. And we have to keep our head up. Let me add one thing to Stan's comment. And then, Dr. Shoshana, uh, give us your perspective. I think that what you're saying is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this show. In the sense that the focus on Rosh Hashanah in many respects is the religious perspective and it it can feel exclusionary to a lot of people. Passover is different. Passover is more of like a a a family holiday that that even very secular Jews kind of probably have a, a similar relationship to it than that general society has to Thanksgiving. Is a there's a gathering in the family Rosh Hashanah and and Yom Kippur are 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 more like inward facing uh holidays and therefore in a certain sense I think a lot of people don't connect with them in in, in this in the same way. Can we can we just put aside the the spiritual stuff, or is there, is there something wrong with that approach, That's, Brenda? No, I, I cannot. That's the reason I came on the show. <clears throat> I don't know what you want me to talk about. I mean, I don't know why he's attacking me this way. Because in fact, I said nothing against Judaism of the processes or against uh, the holidays. Just the opposite, and I was just speaking in a way to include everybody. So, um, <clears throat> I, can I put aside the spiritual? Part of it? No, of course not. That's to me. That's what it's. And I told you that when we talked before. That's the point of it. It's not a social gathering for me personally. And um, I and I, I understand what he's saying. And I and I think it's amazing that we're still here. And I tried to go deep within and see what the what the essence of it is. And if he finds that so reprehensible, that's fine. But I don't. I, I'm not going to put that aside. That's what I'm here to talk about. That's that's fair. Do you think that someone who is completely disconnected with with Judaism uh, can actually find a place for practice in Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Like, of course, non- I think hang on, is- I haven't finished my question yet. Like non Christians can with Christmas. Like, I'm you know I feel always welcome into the Christmas celebration. There's a big there's a big tree in in, uh, in Rockefeller Plaza. There's all sorts of it's like fun. There's movies about like I, I kind of even though as a, as a non-Christian, I, I still feel very welcome into that celebration. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it what's the way for a non-Jewish person to to feel welcomed into this new year, or is our new year different? Is it not as celebratory? Well, of course, it's very celebratory. Of course, it is, and it's also a time. I mean, there are other like. Singing, dancing, many, many things. Rosh Hashanah, which is what we're speaking about, it's a time of taking stock. That's what it is. It's a time of taking stock, particularly those 10 days. And it's not exclusively a Jewish activity. Um, The Christians take stock. Everybody takes stock. And so people who call themselves atheists who don't want to 
And it's not about what you call yourself. Everybody, every human being needs to take stock of themselves. Excuse me. Excuse me. What the calls us to do. Go ahead, Stan. That number, 5782. I'm going to hang up at this. I can't. And my, my body is We're going to go to a, we're gonna go to a break in a second. 5782. Wait, Stan, Stan. Uh, uh, go ahead and ask your question quick because we're going to go to a break. 5782 means something. We are here over 5,000 years. And it's not more, it has more, a lot to do with religion, but it has a lot more to do with our survival skills. That's why we're still okay. here. I appreciate the perspective. No thanks, problem. For, thanks for the call. Okay. We're going to go to uh, a break. Again, if you want to participate, 718-303-9090. You, that's by phone. You can also text a question or even WhatsApp me a question at 917 or a comment, 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. We'll be right back. Cut the cord. Are we human? Or are we dancers? My sign is vital. My hands are cold. And I'm on my knees looking for the answer. Are we human? Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've been caught. We're back on equal footing. Whew. Dr. Esh and Brenda Shoshana, thank you for your patience. <laughs> I actually, I didn't feel, I didn't feel rage in that last caller. I, I, I felt like it was like a different way to look at the holiday. And there's many ways. Well, there's a lot of ways to communicate different thoughts. But the back, for me, there's energy is very reprehensible. For me, to me, that's very, you know, it's, it's not what I'm here for. I well, came here I, to discuss this with you and the audience. And um, well, I apologize and I, for, for for the. Uh, and I don't really see. I mean, I don't think he heard a word I said. Anyway, I don't know what he heard. But well, um, I think other people appreciated the dialogue because it, it over that little ad break we got a few uh, questions in, and the combination of Stan's uh, point and what we've been talking about before, I think spurred. Uh, some material for a lightning round. So we've done this before in the show, but these are like some quick kind of snippet. I've taken editorial license. I've kind of, I've taken parts of questions uh, for the sake of efficiency. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Brenda, if I could ask you, these are some interesting ones and I think they go okay. to the, sometimes the confusion that we have uh, in is either as non-Jews or as secular Jews around, you know, the meaning of certain rituals and, and whether they're mm-hmm. they're spiritual or tribal or whatever. So so 
here we go. And feel free to, you know, if you don't know the answer, you can punt it to me and I'll be the, the I'll, I'll, I'll make it up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always wondered what the blowing of the shofar symbolizes. So what is okay. the shofar and, what, and for those that don't know, and what does it symbolize? Of course. Well, the blowing of the shofar, <clears throat> and they blow it every night for, for, and, and in Israel for 30 days, is to wake us up. It's just a wake up. What, what is the shofar soul. first for a non-Jewish uh, listener? Pardon? What is the shofar? What is what? What is it? What is the shofar? Oh, the shofar is a horn. <clears throat> it's a horn that's blown. It's a, it's a, a well, well, you describe it. How would you describe it? A, a, the ram's horn. The ram's horn. And yeah. it's, right, and it's put in the mouth, and it is blown very, with a special, a special melody to it, and special uh, number of blows. And the purpose of it is to wake up the soul is to wake us up and to wake up the sensibility and so that we, and again, return to our source. It's really, by the way, it's really hard to blow. (laughs) Very hard. I have a a little bit of, uh, I've always, my whole life had a little bit of asthma and like, I just, I I have my, I get all red, try to, try blowing a ram's horn. It is, it is hard. And, and it's the main mitzvah, it's the main, it's the main commandment, the main mitzvah. The main, and I say mitzvahs are not good deeds. What mitzvahs are, they are actions which bring in divine energy into our lives and into the world itself, to the whole world, Jews and non-Jews, to everybody. These mitzvahs or these rich, you could call them rituals, but they're also forms. Like if you play karate, if you go to karate, study karate, which is neutral, there's a form. And you do that form in order to to draw in certain energies. Let's and let's talk about a couple of other forms here, quick on this on this lightning round. Okay, fasting. Why do we fast mm-hmm. on Yom Kippur and not on the other days during the holiday? Okay, the reason for fasting on Yom Kippur, many well, on one level, it's to it's a way of of apologizing during any time of great crisis. We fast. We let go, we give up, but also it's a way of separating us from the body because this is a day of great spirituality. We entering our spirit. But why not, on, not, the, so why not on the other days? Why days? just on Yom Kippur? Well, because Yom Kippur is a day of asking forgiveness. It's all about forgiveness. And, and, and we go to shul to, to ask, we, we, we ask for forgiveness and we want forgiveness and it's a way of, of cleansing ourselves. And, and abnegating ourselves. It's ego. It's an ego-reducing day, a way to let the ego go. So it's, so the, that's it's a, the most important day for that particular thing. Let, let's go to another question. This is from a non-Jewish listener commenting about the extraordinary number of holidays that coworkers get off mm-hmm. at this time of the year <laughs> if, if they're Jewish. Why, why are there so many days during this period in which you're not allowed to work? Or you don't. Yes, because that's good. It's a very good question. The reason is because these are sacred days, and these are days when we are supposed to gather together to pray and to remember God, to remember our purpose here. To read. So some of the days are rejoicing, as I said, some the Torah. There are days when they build a Sukkot. Every holiday has its own special meaning. And the reason we don't work, we, we don't go to work then because we need to gather together then and support one another and and be together. And it's do, a time and of do things differently than we do the rest of the year, right? 
Absolutely, yes. It interrupts our normal routines and patterns. It's a retreat. It's really a, a, a there month are, There are retreat. other religions, by the way, that have uh, more holidays. I used to live in the Middle East, uh, lived in Dubai for a while. And wow, the mm-hmm. Ramadan holidays go along. And actually, that's a good segue into our next question. A listener asks about, is there a difference in the meaning of fasting between Lent, Ramadan, and Yom Kippur? Or is it all for the same reason? That may not be a That's a wonderful idea. question. I, I was hoping you'd uh, I had no idea. You know, I think, I mean, I, I'm not an expert in all the meanings for Ramadan or for, for, for Lent, but, I, but fasting is fasting. You know, fasting is fasting. It, it seems to be a universal process that we enter at a certain time so that we can be, it's a way of surrendering to, to the spiritual, to God. Oh, although, to, to if play you don't devil's like advocate, God, I think, you know, both, both you and I have, have done some, you much more than, than me have done practice though of Eastern religions and meditation or Eastern, you know, spirituality, maybe mm-hmm. I should say. And, the Western concept, and of course, Lent, Ramadan—that's that's 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 in a Christian belief or a Catholic belief, uh, Islamic belief, and Jewish. These are all Abrahamic religions. They all come from Abraham. They're all Western religions. And in the Western uh, faiths, fasting does seem to be about self-abnegation, uh, about sacrifice, about kind of mo- getting away from the worldly and getting. Into, but then that—that's at least from my humble perspective. Uh, when I lived in an ashram in India, for example, there were, the the fasting that we do sometimes during the day was more. It was more. Um, I don't know. It was more like a, a heuristic. It was more a tool to go deeper spiritually in a practical way. Like if you were fasting, your body was a little bit more still. You didn't have the same energy to do other things. You were mm-hmm. more likely to be sitting in and in, in, in contemplative. It feels different. It feels like in the West, the fasting is more like self-punishing or like and you know and it's certainly in judaism there's a there's a there's a part of that you've practiced both western and eastern Mm -hmm. uh, faiths is that an accurate description and should we maybe see it more in eastern way as 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 jews you know i i I don't see a difference for me personally to me I like to, even when we do zazen, when we sit meditate, we're fasting from negative thoughts we're 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 not we're we're not with fasting we're where we're saying no to certain things. I mean, in, in Judaism, we're fasting. We're not going after our material hungers, and we're letting it go. We're letting something else take over. This heavy sense of self-punishment, I agree, that can be present in Judaism. I personally think that it's it's not from the Torah. I think it's more cultural. I mean, in the old days, the word for sin is avera. It just means missing the mark. Right. It doesn't mean, you know, beat yourself up like yeah, and that. And we have I talked about that before in the show, how the, the Jew, I, I actually, I'm often critical of many aspects of Jewish theology and philosophy on the show, but, but one thing I'm very appreciative of is there isn't as much obsessiveness about sin. It, it's more about like, you know, making a mistake, like you said, missing the mark, not being our, our highest self, uh, as opposed to something that we need to kind of walk around as a, with, um, as, as a constant ball and chain or confess about. Okay, we're going to come back or take our last break here on Equal Footing. We're going to come back with Dr. Brenda Shoshana talking about Rosh Hashanah and having a show that's accessible to atheists and outsiders. Call in and ask your questions. We'll be right back. God, give me style and give me grace. God, put a smile upon my face. 
All right, DocuVax is also brought to you, excuse me, look at that. Equal Footing is also brought to you by DocuVax. You know, as soon as you start to read these uh, promos rotely, you get in trouble. So I'm going to get into the space of our wonderful sponsor, DocuVax. Here we go. Your medical data, your vaccine information, your x-rays, your MRI information, your serology, your blood tests, it belongs to you. It does not belong to your insurance company. It does not belong to your doctor. It does not belong to your employer. So take control of your medical data. DocuVax provides an easy-to-use digital locker, a medical digital locker. It's accessible on your laptop or your smartphone. You can find DocuVax on the iOS and Android app stores. It's also available on uh, on your laptop. It allows you to safely store and validate basic medical information. Like I said, your immunization records, lab results, preventative screening results, etc. Gone are the days of losing time tracking down old medical records or sharing test results with a new healthcare provider or insurance provider. The DocuVax system covers over 60 different important elements of your medical profile. From COVID, flu, and tetanus vaccines to colorectal and breast cancer screenings to blood type and allergy information, you can sign up at DocuVax.com. That's D-O-C-U-V-A-X.com. You can also call 833-859-1933. That's 833-859-1933. And if you want, you can actually, as a small or medium-sized employer, you can sponsor employees to get the DocuVax system. It's very affordable. It's as low as $6.99 per month. DocuVax subscribers can privately access all their medical medical records 24 hours a day from a secure HIPAA-compliant digital storage facility and their medical professionals on call for you 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. Those professionals... Doctors and nurses can validate your vaccine records, your blood tests, or anything else in your locker that you may need for travel, for a new school, uh, for your child, for a new job, or to send information to an insurance provider. And in the DocuVac system, you get to choose what you want to share. You don't have to share your whole medical folder using a proprietary QR code-based system. You can keep your data secure and just share specific information. The other day... I started to use the Excelsior system here in New York where I have to have my COVID vaccine record on my phone. And it annoys me that when I show that in a restaurant, I have to, if I want to get in, I have to show them also like my birth date and other information that's on that card. DocuVax is accepted as part of the Excelsior program. You can use it instead and you can just provide a check that you have the COVID vaccine if that's what you want to share. So take control of your medical file. Sign up at DocuVax.com, that's D-O-C-U-V-A-X.com, or call 833-859-1933, 833-859-1933. Operators are standing by. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on I've been You're back on equal footing, Dr. Eshin Brenda Shoshana. Thank you for talking about Rosh Hashanah, and I love the alliteration between your name and the subject of the <laughs> show. You know, I w- I, c- could I say one thing that's been on my mind uh, as we've been talking to your comments about, you know, the um, Catholic confessional and all? And I just wanted to say that I think that, again, it could be for some a very beautiful process that we're going to actually have to speak out to a priest or to someone else about what you did wrong 
and hear it and hear the yourself speaking, it, it's again, it's bringing up aspects of ourselves and sharing it. it it's not necessarily that, that instead of... Yeah, thank you. Thank you for calling. Seriously, can, thank you, you know, for calling me out on that bias because I'm pro-therapy. I mean, I, I've done therapy and it's been helpful and mm-hmm. you're a psychologist and you know what? It's a, it's a form of therapy. Let's take a caller on line one. We're talking about Rosh mm-hmm. Hashanah. I hope you are, and I don't, I, I'm not going to say I hope you, if you're an atheist or you're a non-Jew, you're especially welcome tonight. Caller on line one, you're on the air. Can you hear us? Are you talking to me? I am. You, I have a little story about Yom Kippur. Tell I us a story about Israel. Yom Kippur. What, what is, first of all, what is your name? Judy Klieger. Judy Klieger, I know you and love you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a wonderful story about Yom Kippur, the perfect story. Would you like to hear it? it well, let's let the caller tell the story. Oh, she wants to tell us. Yeah, and, and for, for yes, disclosure, Ju- Judy and I, Judy and I are cousins, and so I, oh, nice. just so the listeners going, what? What is he talking about? Go ahead, Judy. We didn't mean to interrupt you. Okay, when I was a little girl, <clears throat> I went with my father during the holidays to sit with the men because I like to play with this talit. Uh, sitting with my mother was boring. They just gossiped the ladies there. So my father was crying on Yom Kippur. He was, mm-hmm. <laughs> he had his eyes, tears, he was so sad on Yom Kippur, and I thought Yom Kippur is a sad holiday. When I met my husband, which is a lot, who was a lot more literate in Jewish studies than my father ever was, he told me just the opposite. Yom Kippur is a happy holiday, because if you are a believer, it's your chance to throw away your sins from last year, to ask permission, I mean, forgiveness from everybody, from God, and start a new page. It's not a sad holiday. And I was listening to him. I was the total of 17 years old when I met him. And I said, yeah, maybe you're right. That's beautiful. And in fact, we had a question from a, from a listener earlier that asked that very thing, uh, is the, from a non-Jewish listener, is this supposed to be a sad or a happy holiday? And I, it was, I didn't ask that before because it's, it's a hard one to ask because we were talking about Rosh Hashanah, but we also mentioned Yom Kippur. And for listeners, it is very personal and Yom Kippur is often thought of as a sad holiday. But the way you yeah. put that was really was really beautiful, and that's how I'm going to choose yeah. to see it going forward. <laughs> that's how I chose for the last 60 years to see it. Yeah. Oh, and, and you yeah. know, if somebody cries deeply, sometimes they also, it's, it's not, it doesn't mean it's sad. It means sometimes with deep tears you're really connecting with something deep within yourself yeah. and connecting to God afterwards. I have a small note about, uh, I have a small note about Sukkot, if you have the time. We're do, I, I want to ask you one last question, but let's do Sukkot another time. But I want to ask you, okay. Judy, before we lose you, the, yes. the title of this show is Rosh Hashanah for Atheists and Outsiders. And without right. betraying any confidences, you and I have a shared person very, very close in our life who's an atheist. Right. How does that person 
How do you feel their relationship is with Rosh Hashanah? Can there be a relationship, if you're atheist, with the holiday of Rosh Hashanah? I tell you the truth. I don't know who you're talking about. Okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> tell me the first letter. Yeah. I'll tell you later. <laughs> okay. So let's turn the question to, to, to you, Dr. Shoshana. Can, if, if you're a confirmed atheist, and I don't mean an agnostic, mm-hmm. and I, and I don't mean a, and I want to thank, I want to thank Judy for, for, for calling in, but Dr. Shoshana, it, 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 someone who is conf, confirmed in their belief that God does not mm-hmm. exist, and how do you, what but, you, but, but, how can you have a relationship with Rosh Hashanah? Or can you? You can because you exist. And because you are, you need to be reborn and renewed, and you need to return from distractions and live a life that's beautiful. You don't have to add God on if you cannot, if you don't want to, but you exist. And, and it's, the disrosation, it's about you. Also, it's about you finding the deepest part, most meaningful part of your life. And you, you don't have to call it God. Yeah, so, it's so a you're saying that that that, return, that practice return of return to shuva that we open the show with, you can you can still yes. practice that at return. Of to, course, you know. of course. Of One course. of the things I love you about could, the Eastern faiths is that 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 potential tension feels lesser because there's always this reference to the inner self as opposed to God. Now we felt more more comfortable. With, it was a, a, maybe comfortable is the wrong word. It was like easier for me to understand the the God concept. That's fine. It's fine. Understand. You know. You, you know. I think that's fine. Different people, different words and different phrases have different meanings. I think they're all the same, ultimately. You know, it's not about the word. It's about, the, as you said, how who you become, about the process of returning to your inner self. If that's what it feels good to you, that's That is fine. what the holiday is about. <laughs> yes, it is. Brenda, I want to tie in, as we close here, the show we did some time ago on death the, the mm-hmm. final adventure and, and this show on Rosh Hashanah. And I was at a very beautiful funeral service today and the eulogy was done by the granddaughter of the mm-hmm. uh, woman who passed. And in blessed memory, she passed at 93. She lived a, a full, extraordinary mm. life. And as a result, as a direct result of her life, uh, brought many people, dozens of, of people um, from her home country where there was a lot of suffering to the United States so to a, uh, mm. a, a brighter existence and it's just brought me to tears of ceremony. And I wanted to share the, le- the fundamental lesson I took away from the eulogy and it was the uh, maxim that this woman had in her life that passed uh, that you shouldn't wait for the right moment to say something. Mm that the right moment may never come. And so to, to take the moment and, and, and express your love and that friends are just as important as family. So I want to close, before we go to the new year, uh, for those who are practicing, for those who are not, you've heard on this show how you can do so anyway. Don't wait for that right moment. Say to the person mm-hmm. you love that you love them and, and whether they're friends or, or family. Dr. Shoshana, thanks for being on Equal Footing. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, and thank you so much for having me. Happy New Year to everyone there, everyone listening, too. Thanks, Amir. Thanks, Amir. Bye-bye. If my words did glow With the cold of sunshine And my tunes were played 
On the horn, on the strum, would you hear my voice? Come through the music, would you hold it near? As it were your own, it's a hand-me-down.